to the High Praises Church Podcast. We hope you are blessed by today's sermon. Turn with me to John chapter 21. John chapter 21. While you're turning, I want to thank Pastor Chris for trusting me with the opportunity to be behind the sacred desk again. Some of you know our story that uh, we are kind of home folks. Uh, my wife grew up in that big metropolis just south of here called Calhoun Falls. And uh, they got excited one moment. They had, they had one red light. And the Gene's parents called and said, they're going to put a bypass around there. And Gene said, oh, are we going to get two red lights? They said, no, they just moved it out to the bypass. But, and I grew up in Kentucky, and met, we met at Lee College and uh, playing our instruments, playing our horns. We've been making beautiful music together for 39 years, coming up in July. And so, yes, we, our second assignment was right here at McDuffie Street as youth pastors, back when Methuselah was around. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, this is home. And we appreciate being able to be home. Overseer of Louisiana now. They've given us an opportunity to serve in that capacity. When you go to Louisiana and you eat the food, you learn to talk funny down there, you know. And they say funny stuff, you know. Trying to figure out what you do. you got to learn to talk it. And uh, since this is the second service, will you just let me be at home? Can I be at home? So I do have to tell you this. This is Gene's favorite. i got a friend. His name Boudreaux. And he got a friend named Thibodeau. Well, Boudreaux, he walks into Walmart one day. He sees this funny-looking can sitting on the shelf. He says, man, what is that there? Manager said, well, it's a thermos bottle. He said, a thermos bottle? He said, man, what a thermos bottle do? Well, it keeps hot things hot and cold things cold. Oh, wait till I show Thibodeau this. Yeah, he's going to like that. So he buys a thermos bottle, goes out to lunch the next day, sits next to him, and Thibodeau walks up and says, hey, Boudreaux, man, what you got there? Oh, I got me a thermos bottle. He said, a thermos bottle. said, what'd that do? Man, it keeps hot things hot and cold things cold. Sean, man, said, what you got in there? He said, man, I got me two cups of coffee and a popsicle. <laughs> That's Gene's favorite Cajun joke. <laughs> you can tell we've ate the food, yeah. Well, forgive me for visiting just a little bit. Love you. Appreciate you. I want to speak to you this morning on a subject entitled, Living on the Right Side of Easter. Living on the right side of Easter. John chapter 21, beginning at verse 1. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to his disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and in this way showed himself. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, and Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we're going with you. They went out and immediately got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. But when the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Then Jesus said to them, Children, have you any food? Friends, have you caught any fish? They answered him, No. And he said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast, and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Therefore, the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he had removed it, and plunged into the sea. But the other disciples came in a little boat, for they were about uh, far from land, about 200 cubits, dragging the net with fish. Then as soon as they had come by land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid on it and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish which you have just caught. Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to land, full of large fish, 153. 
And although there were so many, the net was not broken. Jesus said to them, come and eat breakfast. Yet none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? Knowing that it was the Lord. Father, we thank you that you have given us this grand opportunity to be in your house and to praise you and magnify you and to glorify you. We thank you that we can lift you up for we know that you are forever the Lord of glory. That you are a good, good father. And Lord, we've had the opportunity to worship you with hand claps of praise and voices of praise, but now we worship you through the word. Let your word speak to our hearts and our lives. Lord, let them hear you and not me. Let them see you and not me. Let your word move into their hearts and lives and let us receive from you all that you have set in order for us today. And Lord, we will not fail to give you praise and honor and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Being from Kentucky, lived three miles from Calumet Farms, I actually had the opportunity to pet Secretariat. If you've ever seen the movie or heard, heard that, they brought Secretariat into Calumet Farms. A friend of mine's dad was a foreman on the farm and let us come on the farm, and I got to pet Secretariat and, and only lost one finger. No, uh, great place. But because of that, horses mean a lot to me. I grew up just right around them. Well, there were two racehorse, thoroughbred racehorse, gentlemen that just loved to get together well, and squabble. They had this feud between them on who would win the local steeplechase. If you're not familiar with the steeplechase, it's where the horses run through the woods and they go run through creeks and leap over fences and they try to win the race. Well, these two guys always were wagering and always feuding against one another. And so finally one of them said, now, if I can get me a professional jockey to ride this time, I know I'll win. I'm tired of this guy winning. So he gets his professional jockey, and the time for the race has come. The jockey gets on, and they mount up, and the race is off. Well, sure enough, like every other time, these two horses are in the lead until they get to the last fence. The last fence was too much for both of the horses, and they fell, throwing both of the riders. Well, this did not upset the professional rider. He got himself together. He got back up on the horse. He jumped on the horse, and he ran, and he won the race. He was excited and just elated with what was happening, but he noticed that the owner was not very happy. His face was red. He was upset. He was mad. He was angry. He was mean. And then finally the jockeys had enough of it. And he said, look, I don't understand you. You hired me to get on this horse and to win this race, didn't you? He said, yes. Well, I won the race. What's wrong with you? God said, yeah, you won the race all right, but you won it on the wrong horse. Oftentimes, that's what happens in life, isn't it? The jockey had the best of intentions, intended to win the race, but he came distracted from the task, and he found himself on the wrong horse winning the wrong race, if you will. And that's what happens in our life. Oftentimes, we wind up doing the same thing we, with our walk with the Lord. We start out strong. We have the greatest of intentions. We're excited. We want to succeed in the faith, and we have this desire to be faithful followers of our Savior, yet so often... We become distracted from the faith. We allow wrong influences. We experience a difficulty. We experience a harshness. We experience a fence in life, if you will. And we fall and we fall through. We find ourselves getting up and getting on the wrong horse and winning the wrong race. Well, last week we discovered the greatest day of all days. We knew about crucifixion day and we know about being buried into a, a dark tomb. And yet we know that on the third day, Jesus rose. Aren't we thankful that he has risen? He's no longer in the grave. Aren't you thankful for that? Last week we experienced the grandness and the greatness of that. But now 
we're on the other side of Easter. It's a very uncertain place to be. It's a very difficult place to be. It is not an easy place to be. So consider for a moment what's happening. Perhaps maybe you too have had a salvation experience, and by that I mean salvation experience coming to alive in Jesus Christ where you heard the word preached or something happened in your life and you said, you know, I, I experienced what the Lord is doing and I need the Lord, the Holy Spirit drew me to Him and I need to accept Him as Lord of my life. You accept Him as Lord and Savior of your life and you say, I want to live for Him. You saw the leading and finally you said, yes, that's what I want to do. You were made alive in Christ. But now you find yourself a few days later. A few days later when life hits, the initial excitement is over. We used to say Sundays are coming, but Wednesday's always there. Monday comes, Tuesday comes, and all of a sudden difficulties start hitting your life, and you start wondering, did something really happen to me on Resurrection Day? Did something really happen to me on the resurrection of my life that I was really made alive? Because now I'm finding difficulties in my life. Did something happen? An obstacle comes into your life, and you find that you fell off the horse, you fell off the, the, the fence, and next thing you know, you find yourself on the wrong horse. And it's tempting when that happens to go back to where you were, to go back to who you were, and to go back to what you were doing. Because people find the place where it's easy to get comfortable in their life. Well, if you've ever been at that place and you get, are hard on yourself, say, I should not have done that, don't worry and don't fret because you're in good company. We find this is what happened to the disciples in our text. That they were the very same situation. Remember, Easter was not a glorious day for them as it is for us. The whole community didn't come together. We didn't have a special Easter service. And Easter lilies weren't flowing around everywhere. And no one went and bought out their new Easter outfit and had an Easter egg hunt and had bunnies jumping all around and doing little kid stuff. It wasn't like that for them. No, Easter for them was a resurrection day when they saw their friend being crucified and then they heard that he was resurrected, but now they're wandering around on the Sea of Galilee wondering what they need to do. Sometimes wonders always wonder. And now we find that they're on the other side of Easter. On crucifixion day, yes, Jesus died and he was buried and he was put into the tomb and they heard about this resurrection, but what we find is that the disciples scattered and they were told this was going to happen, but they just did not understand. And then Jesus appears alive, confuses them because now they're apprehensively joyful, hesitantly hopeful, and now they're wandering around the Sea of Galilee. No more appearances of Jesus. He's gone. They're on the other side of Easter. It's an uncertain place to be. It's a difficult place to be, as I have said. So my question to you is, what side of Easter are you living on? Let me share some points with you. Here's the first thing. That people living on the wrong side of Easter go back to an old way of living. People living on the wrong side of Easter go back to the old way of living. As Jesus died, the disciples were depressed and they were distressed. The fire and the zeal that they once had for Jesus had begun to dwindle and begun to die. And even though they knew he was resurrected and appeared to them twice, we find that they're still depressed. How do we know that, Pastor? Because they went back to an old way of life. How do we know that? Look at verse 2 and 3. Notice what it said. They went back to what they used to do. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin. That's Doubting Thomas. Nathaniel of Cana, the sons of Zebedee, James and John, and two other disciples were together. And Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said, we're going with you. Now, when Pastor Chris calls me and says, Durwood, I know you're in town. I'm going fishing. I said, I'm with you, son. Let's go. This is a different kind of I'm going fishing. 
Because what we find here is sometimes when Christians find themselves in situations that, they aren't, that things aren't going right or happening the way that they want them to go, they go back to an old way of living. They go back to their struggle of their spirituality and they, they, they want to cling to the old familiar way of things. They want to go back to what we call normal. I wish things would go back to normal. We said that with this pandemic, haven't we? I just wish things would get back to normal. I've got news for you. Normal is not normal any longer. It'll never be the same way that it was. That's the way it is in your Christian life. It can never be the same, and yet that's what people try to do. That's what the disciples did. They went to an old, familiar way of living. Remember, we're not talking about people that had forgotten Christ. They, were, they knew him. They spent time with him. They ate meals with him. But sometimes even those who know Christ backslide. Oh, just hang on. It'll get gooder as we say back home. Even those who have shared intimate moments with the Lord, with Jesus, we find ourselves down in the dumps. We know that he's alive and we've seen him work miracles in our lives, but still somehow we find ourselves heading back from whence we came. In fact, even the Apostle Paul put it this way, I know what I'm supposed to do, but I find myself doing what I'm not supposed to do. Even though there's finding good things, there's evil that always wants to go on. What I have discovered in life is sometimes it's not always just the outside influences that's trying to destroy us. It's the stuff on the inside or the things of our past that are things in the future that we get to the place and yes, the Lord has redeemed us. The Lord has saved us, but can I tell you, while the Lord forgets it, everybody else doesn't. I know what you did last week. Yeah, but the Lord saved me. Resurrection hit. I know what you did last month. When you go before the Lord and try to pray and try to seek his face, I know what's happening with you. I know your thought process. Y'all are right out there. Sometimes it's not the outward things that affect you. It's the stuff on the inside that affects you. And when destruction and temptation and difficulties come, the disciples, we do like the disciples that were tempted to go back to where they were and go back to who they were and tempted to go back to what they were doing, tempted to let things go back to normal. But listen to what Peter said. He says, I am going fishing. That is four of the saddest words in all of Scripture. How can you say that, Pastor? Everybody loves to go fishing. But when Peter says it, something else happens. Because when he says, I'm going fishing, what he was really saying is, it's over. It's done with. There's nothing left to do but to go back home and to go back to an old way of life because that's the way it is. It's over with what's happening. It was a good run. It was nice, boys. Great being with Jesus. It was good being a part of his posse. I mean, it was awesome to be around him and see all those miracles, but he's dead. He's gone. We can't see him any longer. It's over. It's done with. I'm going fishing. See, here's the sad part, is that he took others with him. I just celebrated 40 years of ministry. March the 27th was 40 years of, March, 40 years of my call into the ministry and 40 years of ministry and pastoring. I've heard it so many times where people have made this statement. They have said these words, Pastor, I know that I have failed, and I'm not taking it. It's my choice. And if anybody else falls, it's their choice. I have a good Kentucky word for that, hogwash. Many a daddy has said, look, they've led their sons down the wrong way. They've gone the wrong way. Yeah, they were saved. They were on fire for God. And next thing you know, we find them going a different direction and they lead their son a long way. Because listen, more is caught than taught. Many a woman has taken their child, their daughter, and taken the best things of life and let them understand it's really not the right thing for you because you got to follow me. I've gone the wrong way of life. And they've lived an illicit lifestyle and we find that their daughter's now living like their mama's. 
Hang on. I was pastoring a church and had this brand new to this church, had been there a little bit, and I had staff at that church. And come to find out, I found out that my youth pastor wanted to be a sipping saint. I like to have a little beer every now and then. So I found out about it, and I called him in, and I said, listen, you can't do that. I can do it. He tried to take me to task about it. Well, Jesus turned the water into wine. I said, well, when you can turn the water into wine, we'll talk about it. I said, until then, sorry, dude, you can't be the youth pastor. I can't let put, my, put these kids that I'm trusting you underneath your leadership. And, and he didn't like it. His wife didn't like it, but they kept coming. He was a good guy. We golfed together. We fished together. He's a great guy. He just wanted to be a sipping saint. Do I need to hide? Finally, one Sunday morning, I was about to preach. Five minutes before service, he comes in and throws his girl, opens the door, slams the door, throws her in a chair and says, you need to talk to her. Says she came in this morning stone drunk, two o'clock in the morning. Can't tell you the rest of the story that was going on. And he began to berate that poor girl. She was 18 years old and just beat her up one side and down the other about her coming in drunk and all that kind of stuff. And I said, ho, 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 ho. So first of all, I can't deal with this. I'm about to go to the pulpit in five minutes. I said, honey, you just go out there to the, to the sanctuary. He's about to walk out the door. I said, oh, no, not you. Put your hind in in that seat. He didn't want to sit down, so I just walked up to him, put my nose to his chin. <laughs> I'm vertically challenged. You had no. And I looked at him, I said, if I go to your refrigerator and I open up the door, what am I going to see? You know you're going to find some beer. I said, then stop kicking the girl in the teeth. You taught her how to drink. You're the one that showed her what's going on. You're the one that said, hey, it's okay to do this. It's all right. Jesus turned the water into wine. Well, let's just go ahead and drink a little bit. We're okay. I said, and she comes in stone drunk and some of the illicit stuff that happened that night and you're trying to beat her down. I said, no, I'm not looking at her. I'm looking at you square in your eyes and letting you know that because of your sins and what you're doing, you've led your daughter down the wrong path. Can I tell you, he once was saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Spirit, was used, but he decided he wanted to hit the fence and go his own way. You cannot go back to who you were. You cannot go back to what you were. You cannot go back to what you were trying to do in your life. When Jesus Christ comes in your life, you've got to move forward and say, there has been a change in my life. Look at this statement. When the devil, the devil always tries to make you think that there's some kind of comfort in reverting, going back to what we used to be. The truth is there's no comfort in the old way of life. And that person really knows the Lord they turn their way back. He can't enjoy what's happening. They're experiencing a new life. And once you've experienced that, nothing can satisfy your life. Listen, when you know Christ, when you go back to an old life, is no fun. Why did you accept Christ to begin with? Because you in your sin in the before Easter in your life, on the other side of Easter, is, is worldly and carnal. You're doing everything to please yourself, everything to please everybody else, everything just to make you happy. If it feels good, baby, do it. What's good for you may not be good for me. What's bad for you may not be bad for me, but it's my life. Oh, hallelujah. I want to live my life the way I want to. The reason why you left that lifestyle is because it left you empty and vain and nothing good inside of you. Oh, but when you accepted Jesus Christ, you found joy unspeakable and full of glory. And the Lord began to move inside of you. That's why you left the old life. But people on the wrong side of Easter go back to their old lifestyle. 
Y'all all right? I know it's stiff, but hang on. Like I used to tell the churches I pastored, you may not like me, but you have to love me to get into heaven. Here's the second thing. In order to live on the right side of Easter, you must obey Jesus. In order to live on the right side of Easter, you must obey Jesus. Early in the morning, in the gray mist, a man calls out to them from shore, Children, have you have it? Do you have any food? Or friends, have you caught any fish? And the disciples responded with the, the, the response that I normally have to give is no. I mean, just ask Pastor Chris or Steve Gould. I fished with them, and they blame me because we don't catch it. You know, that's what it is. I say, well, it's the moon phase. They say, no, it's you. <laughs> the moral of the story, don't take me fishing. No, I'm just kidding. But see, what happens to me is the question, have you caught any fish or children, do you have any food, catches my attention because I believe that, as some scholars say, that this question, there's more to it than meets the eye. You see, Jesus knew the disciples better than they knew themselves. Perhaps that he was asking, is your work producing any fruit? Are you having any joy? Are you happy out there? You see, the disciples knew the disciples better than they knew themselves. And here they had fished all night. Now, remember, they were fishermen before Jesus taught them to, to teach be fishers of men. And so they knew what they were doing. But yet Jesus is saying, oh, yeah, uh -huh. you went back to fishing all right. But are you having any fun yet? Are you really, are you producing any fruit? Are you, ha are you happy with what you're doing? And the disciples had to say, No. You see, people of God, listen to me. After you come alive with Christ, I'm going to say it again. You cannot go back to where you were. You cannot go back to who you were. You cannot go back to what you were doing. To live on the right side of Easter, you have to obey Jesus. And so Jesus says some incredible words. He says, listen, I want you to cast your net on the right side of the boat. Now, that's interesting to me. Notice he says, cast your net on the right side. Say it with me. Cast your net on the right side of the boat. You see, too many times we're casting our life on our own terms and in our own ways. And in all honesty, we're not casting on the right side because it's not God's side. We want things the way we want them. We want God, things, God to do things the way we want him to do them. And we do this in obedience. And because of that, blessings cannot come our way. I don't know how it is with you. I just know how it is with me. I know what I want, when I want it, how I want it. And I wanted it yesterday. I like to hunt, and so when I shop, I'm a hunter because I do not like to shop, so I hunt. I've already done my homework. I know where it is, what I want. I've already scouted the area for the hunters know what I'm talking about. I've already had my cameras out, my phone, looking what could be, about what the cost is. Honey, I go in there to the woods of the shopping mall or the store, I find my place to my stand where it is. I bag it, grab it, sack it, and I'm out of there, baby. The problem is sometimes that's not fast enough. You know, you got to crank the key, get in the car, drive to where you want to go, fight the traffic, fight the people. <laughs> it is a fight sometimes, huh? But then you can go on this thing called Amazon Prime. Oh, you've been there, have you? And they say, two days. I go, ding, and I walk to the mailbox. Come on. I know what I want, when I want it, how I want it. I wanted it yesterday, but can I tell you, my timing is not God's timing. 
God knows what we need, when we need it. Can somebody help me out in here. So what happens to us is we get to the place and say, I want what I want when I want it. But when we do that, we miss the blessings of God because we're not being obedient. So think about what Jesus is doing here. Jesus' relationship with the disciples begins and ends with a miraculous catch. You go back to Luke chapter 5, before he has appointed his disciples. He gets in the boat with Simon Peter. He says, cast out into the deep. He says, throw the nets out. And he says, Master, I will at your word because we fished all night and hadn't called anything. I don't know what kind of fisherman Peter is. This is two times we found him not catching anything. And yet he says, I'm going fishing. I think he was lying. All fishermen lie, you know. I caught a fish this big. Like the two fishermen one day was talking, one guy said, man, yesterday I went fishing, I caught me a 40-pound bass. God said, that's nothing. I went fishing yesterday, I caught a 20-pound bass, but it had a lamp in it and the light was still lit. God looked and said, listen, if you'll turn that lamp out, I'll take 20 pounds off my bass. (laughs) How do you know a fisherman's lying when he's opening his mouth? I got you right there. In Luke chapter 5, he went fishing and he caught nothing. Now we find him at the same place catching nothing. What happens is they met Jesus in the miracle. It must have been difficult for the fishermen there trying to say, listen, what's this man trying to tell us what to do? This is our profession. We're at the Sea of Galilee. Besides, Jesus was suggesting what he said just didn't make sense. What possible difference could it mean to throw a net on the other side of the boat? This isn't in your notes, but this has hit me so hard sometimes. And this is this statement. You may want to put it in your back of your head that sometimes God puts us in situations where it seems like there is no answer. Sometimes God puts us in situations where it seems like there is no answer. We've tried everything. We thought we knew what we needed to be done. It worked before. We think we already know how to do it, and so we think it ought to be the right way. It's like when you go fishing, just like these guys, you went to one place, you threw a crankbait, and you caught a bass, and so the next day you go, you think the the same bait in the same place. The next week, the same thing, the same place, and you find you're not catching anything. What worked then may not work now. And yet we try to do the same things over and over and over. It's the, uh, the definition of insanity. Keep ex- doing the same things, expecting different results when that's not going to happen. What's there? Perhaps God is saying, I want you to do something beyond the simplistic. I want you to get to the place and just obey me. In fact, it may seem foolish. It's counterintuitive. Now, I don't know how it is when you've been fishing, but I think about this. He said, cast over on the right side. Listen, we've been fishing all night long. If I've been fishing all night long, believe me, I've not stood in just one place. No, if it doesn't catch on this side, I'm going to the back of the boat. If that doesn't work on the back of the boat, I'm going to the side of the boat. If I can't catch it on the side of the boat, I'm, going to, I'm kicking Chris off the trolling motor. said, bud, let me have the front of the boat sometime. You can imagine these guys have fished every side of the boat that they can. They're doing everything. And then Jesus says, listen, I just want you to cast out on the right side. It just sounds foolish. Don't you think they would have already tried that? Besides, couldn't the Lord just have commanded the fish to swim into the net or jump into the boat? I was pastoring in Mobile, Alabama, and church about this size, and had a guy had a fishing camp and a hunting camp. And he invited me to go fishing with him. We went. We was having a typical fishing, a Derwood Perkins fishing day. No fish. It was getting hot. Saw this little movement by this little brush over there, and we took the boat by it, real quiet as we could be. And there's about a three and a half pound bass that I could see. The water was clear. Now I don't know why this happened or how it happened. I just know it happened. Should have videoed it and showed it to you. All of a sudden, this bass starts swimming towards the boat. I said, well, 
He, so I was getting my rod ready. I was going to put the, 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 the bait right in front of him. And he kept swimming to the boat. I was getting, I couldn't get ready fast. And I said, David, give me, the, give me the net. Give me the net. Give me the net. He gave me the net. I reached down and picked up that crazy bass. He had a death warrant is what he had. Now, if the Lord could do that for me, why didn't he do it for the disciples? He could have. It would have been great. The problem is it would have been spectacular, but it would not have involved obedience. Are you following where I'm getting to? He tested their obedience because we learn from things that are from obedience. Look at this next statement. In your relationship with God, success follows obedience, even when he is asking you to do what seems ridiculous to you. I don't know if you've discovered this yet or not. I know I have discovered it, that you are not smarter than God and I'm not smarter than God. You can't keep doing the same things that you've always done and expect different results. You can't keep doing all the wrong things and expect God to give you great blessings. It doesn't happen that way. Success comes when we're willing to do what Jesus said. And I know they have a success theology out there that you accept Jesus and everything's going to be pie in the sky, money rolling all over. Let me tell you what success is. Success is not the car you drive, the house you live in, or the money you make. Success is living for Jesus Christ, being sanctified and being filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit, walking in holiness and living for him every day and making sure your kids know Jesus Christ and your grandkids know Jesus Christ. That's what success is because when it goes to the Lord, you've taken your whole family to heaven with you. Money doesn't hurt. I believe, and you'll get to this in a moment, God blesses you for a reason. See, here's what we come to this next statement. Obedience involves humility. When it comes to following God, you can't give up. You can't rely on your training. You can't rely on your knowledge. You can't, you can't rely on, on what you think you are. No, it ta- it's called a teachable spirit is what I call it. I'm convinced that if you do not have a teachable spirit, which is one of the most important characteristics you can have, if you don't have that, you're not going to make it. When I hired staff, I looked at their chemistry. I looked, I looked at the chemistry with the staff and the church. I looked at their character. I looked at their competency. I looked at things that they could do. But the number one thing I look for is teachability. Listen, I can teach knowledge. I can train knowledge. I I told the earlier service, I have a Ph.D. in ministry of miscellaneous. It was called a youth pastor. (laughs) Those of you that were with us at McDuffie Street, it was, (laughs) you name it, we did it, babe. I have a Ph.D. in commodology. Commodes were cleaner than anybody else's. I can teach you how to do stuff. I can train you how to do stuff. But if you're not teachable, it won't go anywhere. And here Jesus is looking at them saying, are you going to be teachable of what I have for you? Have you been around those people that you can't teach them a thing because they already know it all? Come on with it. If you're sitting by them, don't punch them. That's rude. You try to tell them and they talk on, talk, talk on top of you. You try to tell me, I have one pastor. Oh, my gracious. I'm not saying names. I forget this. Hello online. And he kept talking and talking and talking and talking. I was, he was telling me about the trouble he was having, talking and talking. That's what you get as an overseer. That's most of your phone calls is trouble. And I was going through this stuff, and finally he kept talking. I said, stop. He wasn't taking a breath. I said, he's a young pastor. I said, listen to me, son. Listen, listen to me, son. Stop talking. Stop talking. But, but, but Bishop, Bishop, stop talking. Here's what we need. I said, the problem you're having is you're not being teachable. And your people are coming against you and you're having struggles with what's going on because you are not listening to them or to people wanting to teach you. 
Can I tell you part of the problem we're not blessed is because we're not listening to the Lord. He says, I want you to cast over on the right side. It takes humility to get to that place. It takes humility to say, I don't know it all. It takes humility to say, Lord, I don't know really what I'm doing. I have to give it all to you. That's why David, in his penitential prayer, in Psalm 51, verse 12, finally had to stay, restore to me the joy of your salvation. But then what he said, and put a willing spirit in me, a willing spirit to sustain me. The only way you're going to be sustained is if you're humble of heart and are willing to let him teach you. You see, if you're going to live on the right side of Easter, you have to be willing to listen. Listen to what he says. Now here comes the good part. Here's the third point. When we are living on the right side of Easter, God will come when we are at the end of our resources. Disciples had been fishing all night long. They had done all that they could do. They knew the fishing holes. They knew how to use their tackle. They were experts in their trade, and they still had no fish. They were in, at the end of what they knew they could do. The resources were spent, but that's when God shows up. What I believe is that at the point where we give up is often when God shows up. Simon Peter was at the end of his resources. He had boasted, that if, Lord, if, anyone, if everyone else fails you, I won't fail you. If it means going to, to die with you, I'll die with you. I'll follow you everywhere, Lord. I'll follow you. No, it doesn't matter. I'm going to, he boasted all of those kinds of things. He boasted he would stand, but he didn't. He fell in the midst of it. He failed Jesus, and he came to the end of what he knew to do. We must understand that coming to the end of our resources allows God to do what only God can do. So look at this next statement. Living on the right side of Easter produces miracles. When the disciples come to the end of their, end of their resources, that's when the miracle happened. It's a miraculous catch. Notice that he says 153. Don't tell me the Lord's not exact in what he wants us to know. He's very ordered to the nth degree, and he knows what you have need of to the very limit of the fish. I don't know why they said 153. But all I know is it's in the Word, and that tells me that the Lord is specific enough to let us know why He wants it in there. So the catch was so large they could hardly get the net to shore, but in spite of the pressure, the net did not break or did not tear. When they arrived at shore, Jesus already had breakfast waiting on them, and that's what I call a fishing trip. Baby, I'm going to go fishing. I'm going to come out. When I get fishing, just have some dinner for me. It was a breakfast for me on the shore. What a fishing trip that would be, huh? Ain't going to happen. My wife tried that one time, very first time I went deer hunting. Never been before in my life, didn't grow up hunting, and got to go. And boy, Jean was so excited about me going fishing, I mean, hunting. And so she fixed me a big breakfast. And man, we got that breakfast. The guy came, picked me up at 3 30 that morning, and we went and hunted and got nothing. And uh, we came back, and the next weekend, he was going to take me hunting, and I was expecting to get up. Man, it's 3 o'clock. I don't smell any bacon, and I don't smell any eggs, and I don't smell any biscuits. And she looked at me, and she said, here's $2. If you're foolish enough to get up that early, go to Hardy's and get you a biscuit. <laughs> Jesus is there. He already, already has breakfast for them. And you wonder, where did Jesus get his fish from, and where did he get his bread from? Well, we don't really know. Is it something? Did he go to the store and buy it? Did he go to the market and get it? We don't know. Did he create it out of nothing like he did whenever he fed the multitudes? We don't know. But here's what I do know, that Jesus has always been making something out of nothing, and Jesus has never changed. He's still the same today. In fact, when we've tried everything and it turns into nothing, Jesus has a way of taking that 
nothing of your life and turning it into something. He creates fish and bread for your life. He gives health where there was only sickness. He gives strength when you only had weakness. He gives life when there was only death and he gives hope when there was only hopeless. I tell you, he gives forgiveness when you find out that you were lost and undone. He creates something out of nothing and he gives it to you as his gift. When you've reached the end of yourself, you've come to the beginning of him. So let me bring you back to the Sea of Galilee after the net is filled with fish and John realizes that there's a man on shore as Jesus. Peter jumps into the water and we'll get to that here in just a moment. And here we find this place that they all get to Jesus. When they get there, all of a sudden, verse 9, notice this. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. That may not seem much to you when you first read that. You picture the scene. There's a small fire, burning coals, fish, bread, waiting on the disciples. But there's something interesting about that charcoal fire. The Greek phraseology, charcoal fire or fire burning coals, is only used two places in Scripture. First place that it's used, I mean, one of the places it's used is right here, fire burning coals. The other place that it's used is when we find Peter at the barrel, warming himself over charcoal fire after Jesus has been arrested. And he's walking by and he sees his face. And when he sees his face, we know the story, the end of the story, the cock crows three times and we find that Peter now is lost and undone. Now can you imagine what the picture he sees the last time he saw the charcoal fire with Jesus' face is when he was over that barrel and watching him walk by and he says, I don't know that man. And now he comes to the charcoal fire and the next time he sees the charcoal fire with Jesus' face, he finds that Jesus is there. That speaks to me in the midst of it that at the place of that when he smelled the charcoal fire, the shame that he had, he realized he was at the end of himself. He knew that there was nothing good left in him. If anything good was going to come out of him, it was only going to be through Jesus. It was good for him to give up thinking he was special and realize that he could fail just like everybody else. What I really feel like is when he got to the place and he saw Peter, I mean, he saw Jesus there at that charcoal fire and he saw his face when the last time he saw he had been beaten, the last time he saw he had been arrested, he said, I don't know that man. All of a sudden, Peter has to get to the place and he sees the white, the Savior. He understands now what forgiveness is all about. He understands what it's all about that he failed him. He faltered. He fell off the, the horse and he got on the wrong horse and he was running the wrong race. Oh, but when he saw Jesus there and he saw that he was feeding him good stuff, even though he had been doing bad stuff, I just believe that Peter probably threw up the flag and said, Lord, I surrender. Lord, I surrender. I know there's nothing good in me. There's done no righteous, no not one, but because of you, I'm justified. Because of you, I'm justified. Hallelujah. See, when we come to the end of ourselves, that's when miracles begin to happen. And some of you need a miracle today. You came in here wondering. We just had Easter. Why am I going through this? We just had Easter. Why am I struggling with this? The Lord is saying it's time to come to the end of your resources. Houston Smith, missionary, tells the story of his parents. They were missionaries to China. And uh, they had served the Lord and had started a church there in China. But then China regime took over and began to kill missionaries or send them away. And so when they got the, they destroyed them, 
They were making Christians wear dunce caps and put their knees on glass, broken glass, and people just make fun of them. And his parents said there was no sense us even going over. Lord, why did you send us to China if you're going to do nothing but just destroy the church? Houston Smith went back 30 years later. China opened up the borders for that for a short time and for religion to come back in. And he went over and he said, I want to see the church that mom and dad started and probably not there anymore. So I'm going to go early. He goes early and gets there 40 minutes early. When he gets there, he finds a church packed with people, standing room only. He then goes and he goes to see 16 Sunday school rooms that has wired sound to it, standing room only. No one could sit down. He hears the pastor say, this is the sixth service of today. Please don't come back to another service. Leave it for people to come in, for sinners to come in, that we can save them. (laughs) Can God make something out of nothing when you think that it was a falter and a failure? Oh, yes, he can. Because God's always working underneath. I just feel it right now. Some of you are in the place that perhaps have said, but I've labored and I've told and I feel like the fishermen. I feel like the disciples. I fished all night long. I fished all month long. I fished all year long trying to get something to happen. I'm just not seeing it. I don't think the Lord knows. Ever since Easter, I've had struggle times. Easter in my life. But yet now we find it's not there. But I have news for you that Jesus Christ is always there. He's always ready for you. And he can bring a miracle out of what you think is nothing. Just remember, because you don't see it doesn't mean that the miracle's not already there. Boy, Bishop, that's some good stuff. Look at this next statement. Living on the right side of Easter allows Jesus to show up right when we need him. Look at verse 4. When morning had come, Jesus stood on the shore. Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know it was Jesus. Isn't God good? He knows that when we've been struggling all night long, losing sleep over a problem and trying to get somewhere, we just understand we can't seem to get him. But can I tell you that Jesus is on the shore waiting for you? When the doctors have said they don't understand and don't know, can I tell you Jesus is on the shore waiting for you? I know that I've been there. I can't tell the whole story right now. Maybe later Chris will give me an opportunity to preach again. And, and, but I'll tell you maybe about it then. But I had, had to go to a doctor, to a place, the same place where I had gone with other parishioners and heard the same words that this situation's hit you and here's how we're going to treat it. And they come to me and the doctor raises his hands and he says, we have no protocol for you. We don't know what to do about you. I don't know what we can do about this situation where we are. Listen, I understand understood at that very moment when I had sat in the same place that I'd sat with my members and now I'm hearing the same kinds of words that I knew right then that even though I didn't feel happy and even though I didn't feel good I knew that Jesus was on the shore waiting for me hallelujah when the school says your kids aren't going to make it Jesus is on the shore waiting for you when your business is broke and you feel busted and disgusted I've got news for you Jesus is on the shore waiting for you if your marriage is falling apart I'm telling you Jesus is on the shore waiting for you so many times we sing the song waiting here for you with our hands lifted high we, we talk about how we, we, we quote uh, Isaiah 40 those that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength and we well, sometimes that wait is serving not just waiting it's another sermon for another time but we think we're waiting and waiting and waiting on God oh no we're not waiting on him he's always waiting on us he's everywhere at all times at every place somebody help me out here he's omnipotent he's omnipresent he knows everything about what we have he's all powerful to take care of what we need of and instead of us saying Lord we're waiting on you we're waiting on you why don't we get to the places and said, Lord, I know you're waiting on me. I'm coming to you. You see, when you get to the place 
where God's blessing you, incredible things happen because he's on the shore waiting for you. Look at this next statement. When God blesses you, he will take you to sources that you, were, that you thought were dried up and will bring forth a blessing that you're going to need help to receive. They didn't recognize him. Now they're fish, 153 of them, fished all night. Now they come in, and they were getting there. Blessings come. Can I tell you that when you get blessed, other folks get blessed? You know what I feel like you ought to do? Not arrogantly, but go to your boss tomorrow. Go to him or her and say, uh, boss, this is a blessed place because I'm here. Go to that cash register here. Cha-ching. Hey, boss, that's because I'm here. I'm blessed by God. I'm blessed to be a blessing. You say, those are just crazy catchphrases. No, they're not. Jesus Christ blessed my life because he blessed my life and saved me and brought me out of the pit, put me on the, the solid rock to stay, as the song says. And because he's blessed me, I have to be a blessing to others. What he can get through me, he'll get to me. If I want more from the Lord, I just have to give more out. Isn't that the way it is? But we get stingy with where we are. But what I hear is the net was so full, other people had to help bring that net in. I think whenever you get blessed, other people get blessed. That's the way it ought to be. The people beside you ought to get blessed. I think we ought to be so blessed coming in and going out by the presence of the Lord that when we walk out of the out of this church and we walk out people it just starts gushing out on them wouldn't that be something we talk about revival let me tell you what revival is it's not the shout on the inside it's the people on the inside going on the outside telling people what god's done in their life and it gushes out of them and they get saved on the streets that's what revival is all about they don't have to be in the church let's get them saved at the walmart let's get them saved at the workplace let's get them saved everywhere we go that's what revival is well somebody praise him four of you got a hold of that See, I've understood that when blessings come, I know that it comes from the Lord. It doesn't come from me. It doesn't come from someone else. Somebody else may get to the place and try to take credit for that miracle. But I know that my blessings come from the Lord. It's like the song we used to sing when I was a kid. Can't nobody do me like Jesus. Can't nobody do me like the Lord. Can't nobody do me like Jesus. Come on, somebody, because he's my friend. Got to hurry. Look at verse 7. Here's the key. It's only if you know him. Therefore, the disciple that Jesus loved, that's John, said to Peter, it's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment before he removed it, and he plunged into the sea. John had heard the voice of the Lord. He didn't have to have proof to see him. He heard him. Are you hearing him today? Peter heard John say, it is the Lord and Peter does what Peter always does, has a habit of getting out of the boat. Now, people condemn Peter. First time he got out of the boat. Notice he says, Lord, if it is you, bid me to come. People get mad at him for getting in the boat. and They say, well, he didn't have faith. He couldn't walk on water. Had to have Jesus rescue him out. Well, he got out of the boat. Where were you? Next time I come, I'm going to have a pastor put me a big thing here I can hide. Cause... Yeah, we don't get out of the boat because we haven't taken time to even ask him if it's the Lord. To see if it's will. But now what I love is that first time he says in Matthew 14, he says, Lord, if it be you, let me come. But now he doesn't ask the question. He just leaps out and says, hey, I'm coming. 
I know it's the Lord. I'm going, hey, listen, boys, you can row, row, row your boat all you want to, but I'm getting to Jesus. You can row all you want to. You can bring the stuff in, but I'm getting to Jesus. I'm going to get to the shore with Jesus. Listen, we get so caught up in the stuff of life that we forget to run to Jesus. We wonder why other people get blessed all the time and we're not blessed. It's because they got out of the boat. Because they were running to Jesus. He's on the shore. <laughs> and they heard it as him. And Peter just says, yeah, we're blessed. We got the fish. Hallelujah, it's great. But nothing is greater than being in the presence of Almighty God. Because when you know Jesus, you've got to get to him. When you know Jesus, you'll leave the folks that's slowing you down and you'll get to him. That's just the way it happens. There's sometimes you, oh, I don't know why I'm saying this. I didn't say it in the first service. It just hit me. I don't know if it's a mean streak from God or a mean streak from me, but let me just say it. There are sometimes you have to cut the ties with some people you're with. I've decided in my life I'm not letting anybody keep me from Jesus. No one. If they're pulling me back and pulling me down, I'm going to tell them I love you. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to do everything I can, but I can't have this kind of relationship any longer because you're keeping me from Jesus. Because when it comes down to the end of it, you can well, Lord, I'd have been yours, and I'd have served you, and I'd have been with you. But, you know, I just had this person here with me. He's kind of kept dragging me back. I'm sorry, Lord, but you don't really love you. He goes, whoop, sorry. Is that too tough for you at the 11 o'clock service? I say at first service, but somebody needs to hear it. There's some ties that somebody needs to cut where you can be free with the Lord Almighty. Because those who live on the wrong side of Easter are weathering their storms all alone you think your friends are with you but they're not on the wrong side of easter they're not living in resurrection power but god would say cast your net on the right side there's hope for you he will help you he'll guide you don't give up don't throw it away the musicians would come lord just prompted me right here just to stop Jesus, stand. Holy Spirit. Mm. You see, when Peter looked at the shore, he saw more than a man. He saw hope. He saw joy. He saw peace in his life. He saw purpose. He saw meaning. He saw what it meant to live on the right side of Easter. Oh, Jesus. Some of you are going through some trials today. Unemployment. Some of you underemployment. Could be a relationship, could be marriages, could be kids, could be parents. If you're an intercessor, I need you praying. There's just I just need you to pray. If you're an intercessor, I just feel it right now. I need you praying. I break every stronghold. I break every barrier. It would keep people from receiving your word today, Lord. Holy Spirit, begin to move in hearts and begin to move in lives as we stand before you right now.
Some of you are dealing with unmet expectations. Dealing with the loss of something or someone special. I know that hurt. I lost my dad in September. Hardest things of my life. And we come aching and hurting and we wonder, Lord, where are you? But the Lord is standing on the shore and he's just saying to you, come to me. Come to me. I'll give you joy and happiness and strength. And he's saying to you, don't live on the wrong side of Easter. Jesus. Oh, my Lord, I feel his presence so strong in here. I'm going to handle this altar service in two different ways. I know with COVID, we have to be careful, and I'm being as careful as I can. I wear my mask. Some people laugh at it, but I'm around a lot of people, and if I've been an unintentional carrier, I don't want to bring something to you. I care that much about you. I know we've got to be careful, but I'll handle this in two different ways. First way, I want to talk about your soul. I'm talking about where you are. What side of Easter are you living on? So every head bowed, every eye closed. You're here this morning and you say, Pastor, my life's not right with the Lord. Came in here today empty, hurting, void. I, I see people praising the Lord and worshiping Him, but for some reason I just can't seem to get there. I wonder if the Lord even knows who I am. I have news for you. He's, he's standing on the shore waiting on you. <laughs> Just waiting for you to say, Lord, I receive you as my Lord and Savior. Maybe, maybe that's you, or maybe, maybe you've had a resurrection in your life and you found yourself like the disciples where you just said, you know, I've come to the end of myself. I'm going back fishing. And you know your life's not right. You know there's things not going on where you ought to be and how you ought to be. And the Lord brought you here today, not by accident, not by coincidence, but by divine appointment to let you know it's okay. The Lord's right here, ready to redeem you and set you free. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I'm not going to come to you, but you'd say, Pastor, that's me. One of those areas is my life. I need to commit my life to the Lord. I need to recommit my life. Would you just lift your hands? Hallelujah. Yes, on the left over here. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, in the back over here. Thank you. Yes, in the middle row right. Thank you. Yes, on the middle left. Thank you. On this right side, is there anyone that says, Pastor, it's me. I, I want the Lord to just redeem me and save me. Yes, I see you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Would everyone pray this prayer with me? Lord Jesus, play it out loud. Lord Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross, shedding your blood for me that I might be saved. I confess my sins, my faults, and my failures. I repent of every one of those sins. I turn from them and will not go back fishing. There is a no fishing sign on my life. I will follow you. I accept you as Lord and Savior of my life, Redeemer of my life. I believe you are the Son of God, and I receive you into my heart today in Jesus' name. Can we praise the Lord for five people in this service that said, I want to accept Jesus. Come on, praise Him. The angels in heaven are rejoicing. Let's rejoice that the Lord came down to someone and saved him and redeemed him. Hallelujah. Now here's how I want to handle the second altar call. Because of social distancing and things, if 
I'm going to invite this altar to be open here in just a moment. Just be sure to stand apart from one another and we'll pray for you. There's a purpose. I know that God is just as strong there as he is here. But what I'm feeling is because we talked about obedience, it's just that one step getting out of the boat and the next step and the next step. And I just believe that the Lord begins to move in acts of obedience. It moves the heart of God. If you're here this morning and I don't know what your needs are, I'm not God. I'm not omnipotent. I'm not omniscient. I don't know all things. and I'm not all powerful. But I know what his word is saying and I know what he's saying to me now. If you've come in here with an issue of life and things that you're saying, I need to get out of the boat, I need to come to the shore with Jesus. It might mean that that charcoal fire has brought things back to you and you're just saying, I'm surrendering it all right now. I'm giving it to the Lord. It may be healing in your life. It may be a financial issue in your life. I don't know what that is. I'm not going to ask you what that is, but the Lord knows what it is. If you want the Lord just to make a step in your life and you want the Lord to help you in the midst of that, I want you to step out from where you are and come to this altar and stand or kneel or whatever you feel comfortable. Father, right now, just, yes, thank you, thank you. Keep moving, keep moving. Thanks for listening. Be sure to join us Sunday mornings. Our service times are 9 o'clock and 1045. For more information, please visit us at highpraises.org.